0: This is Audio Insights from Route Consultant. This community of contractors is always on the go, so we've created a resource to move with you. Join me, Spencer Patton, as I talk with my team, fellow contractors, and vendors about our industry. There's a quick disclaimer I need to read. Route Consultant is not endorsed by and is not recommended by Federal Express Corporation and FedEx Ground. Route Consultant is not sponsored by, is not approved by, is not associated with, and has no connection whatsoever with Federal Express Corporation or FedEx Ground. Hi everybody, this is Spencer Patton. Welcome to this webinar. This is a special webinar that we have and that I have a special guest with me. One of the questions that we get all of the time at Route Consultant is about contingency planning and not only how we plan for contingency in our businesses, but how we can grow our business by supporting other operations around us, how we might be able to acquire distressed operations. And so I figured, you know what? Let me bring on somebody else besides me that has done this and has done it very, very successfully. So Jim McCarthy is here with me. Jim, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, Spencer. How are you?
0: I'm doing awesome. Thank you for joining us here. I'm looking forward to having a good conversation with you and understanding your history as a contractor and what led you to be crazy enough to think that this was a good business to do in the first place (laughs) and learning some about your background. So why don't you just take a moment to introduce yourself, tell us where you're from and how you got started in this FedEx world and and, uh, just your background.
1: So again, I'm uh, I'm Jim McCarthy from the Cleveland, Ohio area, local Clevelander, lived here most of my life. Professionally, I spent most of my career in the soft drink business. I worked in the Pepsi system and the 7-Up system for 20-some years, spent some time doing uh, some profit improvement consulting. When I got out of that work and I was sort of semi-retired, my son had this opportunity in the FedEx business come up. With another family member. They asked me to be involved in the negotiation of the original acquisition. We negotiated the deal, shook hands, walked away, and the person that was supposed to take on a leadership role backed out at the last minute. So it was my one son and a second son who wanted to be an investor. They called me and said, Hey, Dad, what would you think about taking over? So that was uh, about six and a half years ago. We acquired. Two contractors area out of the Richfield Station, uh, approximately eight routes, and that was in September of 2014. Uh, As we sit here today, we have contracts in four buildings. We're running a contingency contract in a fifth building and probably have over 100 trucks on the road. So the growth has been in a six-year period of time tenfold in terms of stops and routes and all the rest of it and that's kind of our story that's kind of how we got to where we're at we look to continue to grow we learned that you have to do it in an organized fashion and uh that the contingency opportunities can be a way to get that door open for you to acquire other areas and other buildings
0: that's amazing growth, Jim. Congratulations on on your growth. And some of the best stories always start off with someone saying, you know, I was semi-retired when dot, yeah. dot, dot.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's the truth. I was uh, re- semi-retired. I had a few consulting clients here in the Cleveland area that uh, I had helped over the years. They kept me on sort of in a, a part-time CFO role, uh, helping managing uh, strategic business decisions and things like that. And when this came up, uh, I, I tried to do both. And as this company grew, TJM grew, I had to back away from the consulting world and dedicate all my time and efforts to doing this. And it's been, in spite of a lot of the frustrations that we all have, it really has been fun. I get to go to work with one of my kids every day and one of my other kids is an investor. And, you know, we have board meetings and talk business and strategy. And uh, it's been really fun for me uh, along those lines. So, it's a business we're, we're happy to be in. Uh, you can really make a, a good buck at it if you do it right and take advantage of some of the other opportunities that come down the pike that maybe I know I didn't know about when we first got into this uh, to allow us to grow. The growth then, once you, once you kind of figure that out and you got to be in the right place at the right time and there's a lot of sort of luck involved, but you know, I, I live by that luck is where opportunity and preparation sort of meet. And that's kind of what we've done over the last six years.
0: That's a great, I didn't know we'd be getting bumper stickers from you today too, Jim. That's a good one. I'm going to, I like that. Luck is, uh, it's, it's where opportunity and preparation meet. So that's a, that's a really Correct. good one. I, I like that a lot. Yep. So, well, you hit on exactly the points that we try to teach about, Jim, which is having a great strategy is how you grow in this space. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Every business, the reason why we make money is that we have to overcome challenges and overcome problems. And the two things that we harp on like crazy is having a great strategy around people and having a great strategy around trucks. So kind of what I'd like to do is I'd like to start off and just hear a couple minutes from you about your strategy around personnel and and whatever you think you can cover recruiting, you can cover retention, whatever you think culture-wise is been really good for you to know around people. And then I'd love to hear from you a little bit about your strategy on trucks. And then we'll talk about some contingency stuff later, but let's start off people first and then trucks about what you feel like contractors or prospective contractors should know about those two critical elements in this space.
1: Well, like in in a lot of small businesses, and I did, I did my profit improvement consulting in, in the small business world, and, and in that world, that was somewhere between maybe 10 million and 80 or 90 at a couple hundred million dollar clients. And one thing I've learned and have seen is if you don't have the right people in the right places, it's going to be very difficult to succeed. And in this business, as time has gone on and we've acquired correct people, trained them properly, put them in the right spots. Now all of a sudden what was a struggle isn't nearly the struggle that it was before. When you have employees that have been around for four years, five years, six years, and now they know the job and they've kind of suffered through some of the changes and smart posts and additional stop counts and peaks and all the rest of it. As they build that experience, my life gets a whole lot easier. So I think the strategic plan that we have with our people is treat everybody fairly. You know, it's that golden rule about treat people the way that you would want to be treated. And we, we really do that. It's not always pleasant. Sometimes you have difficult decisions to make and the employees have difficult decisions to make, but we came out of the gate fairly soon and decided we have to, to be the best, we have to have the best people in order to get the best people. You have to pay for it. It doesn't come cheap. And our employees generally are the highest paid in the building. And we provide a full line of benefits. We have health care that we have life insurance, vision, dental, I mean, the whole, the whole bit for an employee, we want this to be a real job, not a transition from one job to another, or just to, you know, kind of put their finger in their personal lives, uh, dike to hold the creditors back until something better comes along. We want this to be the something better. And we've, we've been able to do that. We have employees that their, their lives literally have been changed by coming to work for TJM Express. And I worked for a guy many years ago, and one of his sayings was, when you come to work every day, and his company, he wanted it to be unapproachable. And he didn't mean unapproachable in that nobody could come and talk to him or approachable that way. He meant he wants to be so much better than the company behind us that they look up at and say, we're never going to be that good. And that's the motivation I try to get into my people. So when they get in the truck every day, I want them to think about, I'm working for the best company. I'm one of the best drivers. And then we expect them to act like it. And because we expect them to act like it, we pay them like it. And so I don't have turnover. People don't leave unless I want to help them out the door. And by having those people that are experienced, that have been there a long time, that can trust and can trust you, it makes your whole life in running this business a whole lot easier. So that's, that's a real key. And we, we've been able to bring up guys that we hired as drivers are now my location managers. They're smart. They know the business. They've worked their way. I, uh, one guy's actually relocated. I, I have a couple other guys that are, that are commuting week on, week off in another location. So if, if you build it right, you treat the people right, uh, you pay them right, you're going to get the best job out of them. I left one thing out. You got to manage them too. They don't manage themselves. You got to manage them. That's what we're here for, and that's that's been the secret, I think, to our success in this business.
0: I think that's really great points to glean from that, Jim. And I, you know, something that that reminds me of my beginning as a contractor is. I really suffered from turnover that was 30 or 40% a year. I would literally turn over about 30 to 40% of my my staff. And when I hear you talk about turnover that is virtually non-existent unless you want them to turn over, it really resonates with me because something that, that I focused on early is, all about how can I drive my payroll costs down? How can I pay people less? How can I find a way to save money on payroll? And it wasn't until I became more seasoned as a contractor and also as a manager of human beings that I realized that there's times that you're paying somebody $650 a week and you're gonna get a $650 a week employee. If you pay somebody $900 a week, you get a very different employee and a lot of times what I found is that it would take me two $650 employees to do what one $900 employee was. And so I, I kind of had to scramble my brain about what the pay rates were for the drivers that I inherited from an operation versus what the pay rates were for what I wanted to have as drivers. And it that really resonated with me And and hearing you talk about the importance of offering benefits like what you do and paying the rates that you do. I can hear the the passion from you and the culture that you've instilled in the organization. So that's that's a, a great piece on, on people. So you've set a high bar, Jim. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about trucks now and uh, talk to us about your strategy on the truck side. And clearly you have grown like crazy over this last six years. And there's been varying times where trucks have been available and do you get small trucks or big trucks and, and all the rest. So talk to us a little bit about your truck strategy and your business's growth.
1: So when we first got in the business, we, we bought, I guess the word, maybe 10 trucks that came with the deal originally. They were all old and they were all junk. One lesson I learned is if you're going to acquire a contractor's business and he has a bunch of old trucks, plan on replacing them soon, sooner rather than later, because the the repairs and maintenance will just eat you up. So I, I don't know this for a fact. I'm just going to throw it out there that I would wager to say that right now I would have one of the youngest fleets, in the FedEx world. We've replaced a lot of the old stuff, brought in new stuff. And everything I have with with a few exceptions is probably less than two years old right now. Part of what helped that Spencer was the payroll protection money, it kind of infusion of capital in our business was basically that it was an infusion of capital. And so we were able to pay down some debt, and we've created some cash to buy trucks so we've we've tried not to just buy them on credit and, and create that monthly payment so we've got a we've got a young fleet that's well capitalized that doesn't have a whole lot of repair cost associated with it and as far as a replacement strategy for that stuff it, it right now it's too new to think about at least to plan other than a longer term plan cuz I expect uh, at least 5 years, maybe 7 years out of these new trucks that I'm getting, but I know that sooner or later we're going to have to have a replacement plan for even these new even these new trucks that we've been buying.
0: That commitment to having a new fleet is one that we talk so often about at Rao Consultant and I'm a big believer in buying new trucks and disposing of them between 150 and 200,000 miles in that in that time frame that 150 to 200,000 miles, they still have great residual value. You can sell them for a lot in that mileage band, but you've somewhat milked the best of their life from the first 150 or 200,000 miles that you've operated them. This business has two variables to it in that there are people and there are trucks And when you have your truck variable, one that is relatively constant, meaning you're not dealing with breakdowns, you've got better fuel economy, you've got drivers that are proud of the equipment that they drive, there's a lot of components that allow you to put to bed one of the two main variables of this business and in that truck side. So I definitely commend you for your commitment to keeping a, a good, fresh fleet there and one other element I'd love to hear from you is: Can you talk to me a moment about, about spare trucks and how many spare trucks you you carry and what you do during peak time? Do you rent a lot of vehicles? And uh, just talk to me a, a little bit there, and and then we'll go on to our next topic.
1: Well, we of course have to rent a certain number. Uh, we we've tried to have enough spare trucks during the year, and the goal would be not to not to have to rent any during the year that we would have we would have some spares. But, you know, even during peak down in Charleston, for instance, we have uh, the topography down there is significantly different than it is in, say, Northeast Ohio or Michigan, uh, the other places that we're at. And we don't run P-1000s or bigger trucks. We run the Nissan cargo vans down there. So the cost on them is somewhat less. In fact, the cost to have a couple sitting during the slower times and just utilize them during the busier times, peak and so on, was actually cheaper than renting for the 10 weeks or whatever you have to rent them during peak. So, you know, we made the decision to, to have extra trucks that might sit for nine months a year, only run three months a year without having to rent uh, any rentals during the peak time or during the year If you have if you have breakdowns. We try to keep I wish it was more scientific than, than my gut feeling in this conversation, but maybe 10% uh, spares. And that way, if you have one or two go down, you don't have to go out and rent. Now we have a couple of straight trucks in one location that I don't think it's worth having a spare straight truck that goes down. You get it back in business for a few days and you haven't spent too much money on a rental, but during peak, when you have the heavy rental season, in fact, you probably experienced this year where we even had trouble getting rentals mm-hmm. because they were, they were all booked and they allocated, back to us. So to have that safe, kind of warm, fuzzy feeling during peak, I'd rather have trucks that I own than trucks that I rent. But that's just a little bit of a pipe dream. You you know, you're going to have to have to rent them eventually. But you have good trucks, good fleet, mechanically sound. And you made a, a point that I think is worth bringing up is putting a driver in a new truck or a truck that's a year or two old versus putting them in a piece of junk that he doesn't have heat, you smell fuel, fumes, it rattles, all the rest of it, it makes a a whole mindset that's completely different for the driver. Um, He's not embarrassed to get in his truck every day. He's kind of proud driving around in in a newer vehicle or one of the newer vehicles in the building. It adds to that sort of mindset that the driver has and his positive outlook on his life, on his job, on all the aspects of him going to work, And you'd rather have that than the guy dreaded, I got to get in that crappy truck again and I'm going to freeze. The heater doesn't work good and all the rest of it. So, So I mean, there's a lot to be said. In addition to saving money on repairs, there's a lot to be said for having a newer fleet. Yeah.
0: Just before we move on to the, from the fleet side, I'll I just highlight one, one comment that you made that is a part of our fleet strategy is when we're coming up to peak and we recognize that we're going to be renting vehicles. Every contractor, every year that I've been a contractor, I've been renting vehicles during peak time. But one thing that I, I do is during August and September, when I'm starting to look at the fleet needs that I'm going to have once the calendar flips to January, any trucks that I purchase in August or September are guaranteed to be saving me a rental vehicle that I was going to be using during peak time. And if I think about spending three or $4,000 on a rental vehicle during peak time, that now I no longer have to rent that vehicle because I've purchased one in advance of peak, it effectively works like a three or $4,000 discount on the vehicle and really has become an important part of our fleet strategy is that we try to be forward looking into Q1 of the following year to make sure that we put as few rentals on the road as possible. And if we can at all justify buying it, we're going to go ahead and do that, even if it means that there's going to be a couple extra trucks sitting more than what you would maybe ideally like. But you know, just the reality of this business, Jim, and uh, what we're about to switch to is that when you're growing at the pace that we're growing, Grass is not growing around the tires of these vehicles very often.
1: <laughs> no, sir. Uh, at, at your strategy is a good one. We kind of do the same thing, except this 2020, it just was not possible with the, with the limited number of trucks that were available. That was really difficult. I think it was difficult for all of us, at least those of us looking to, to keep a newer fleet. And, and in my case, in growing through contingency, you gotta, you got to have vehicles, especially when, it, when they want to turn that into a contract which is exactly what happened to us. And, and luckily the, uh, the station was patient. FedEx was patient, allowed us to, to work with our vendors to get, to get vehicles. And, you know, now we have a contract and, and all brand new trucks up in Oak park doing a nice job. So it's, it's, it's a matter of planning. You, you got to stay ahead of it. You can't kind of just live in the moment. You got to live three months from now, six months from now when it comes to trucks and people for that matter. So, yeah. Yeah,
0: that's that's exactly right. And I what where I'd like to take this kind of for the second half of our of our time here together, Jim, is to talk about contingency. So one okay. of the things that I've just found so compelling about your story is the contingency mm-hmm. journey that you have been on for gosh, it it seems like at least the last year, but I've been getting to hear the successes of your business and how FedEx Ground has worked with you to uh, provide you opportunities in other markets. So would you just take a moment to kind of chronicle your contingency story for us and talk to us about how you were even considered for contingency to begin with and just bring us through that narrative to to present day. and, And then we'll go back and ask some questions about it after that.
1: So it goes back to what I said a little bit earlier about being the best, try to be the best in the building, try to be the best contractor, try to be the best business partner. And I know uh, I I like to look at myself as a business partner with, with FedEx ground. And sometimes you don't always feel like a business partner, but I mean, in, in reality, that's our partner. I tell all my employees, we have one customer. And then I, I usually quiz them before they get in the truck. Who's our customer? Well, it's the shipper. Wrong. It's the recipient. Wrong. Geez, I don't know. Well, it's FedEx. Yes. The person that writes us the check, that's our customer. That's the way I look at it. So when I go in there every day and my people go in there every day, I want them thinking, I want to be the best in the building. I want to be the best. To your question, how do you get involved in contingency? Be the best in the building that you're in. Because when there's a situation in a different building, they're not going to come to the middle of the road or below quality contractor. They're going to come to the better contractors. That's just good sense. Cause if, if you're doing a lousy job in your home building, they're not going to even mention it to you unless they got a, a, a huge fire somewhere and they they're, they're desperate. But so first, the first thing is, be the best, make you the contractor that you want them to come to when they have a problem. Uh, Secondly, so in my case, the first opportunity we had along these lines was down in West Virginia. Uh, The the number two in in the building came and said, hey, Jim, you got any guys you would send down there? And it was either the week before or the week after Thanksgiving. Now, at that point, we're geared up for peak. Peak is just about to start. And I hadn't even heard the word contingency up until that point. <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't I was like, man, and so my my son who runs essentially the operational side of things, I said, Tommy, we gotta send some guys down there. They're paying a premium to do it. Uh it's worth our while. He says, Dad, peak is right around the corner. I said, I get it. But we gotta put our head down, fight through this, make the decision, roll the dice, get some people down there. And we did. And that was in November. The following May, we got rewarded with a contract. Mm-hmm. And we ran contingency for all those months. And we made a name for ourselves. In fact, we just had a BRM down there yesterday. And they used the word gold standard when it comes to TJM and their building. And, and I think a lot of this, you know, we come in there, we know what we're doing, especially in a contingency situation, we know, we know how it works. We know on the first day it's going to be a mess. We wouldn't be there unless it was a mess. <laughs> and then it's just our job to, to do the best we can for as long as we can, get it cleaned up. And then <laughs> when they post it, the contract, if it's something you're interested in, then you got the inside track. But you have to be there first. You have to prove yourself first. At least this is my experience. So, and, and we've been able to do this three times now. And we're possibly have a fourth that we're in the middle of. So we get in there, FedEx pays us a premium to go down there to pay for our travel costs and temporary living expenses and additional trucks and all the things that go with it. And when it's all over with, if you've done a good job, you want them not to be able to pick anybody else. They got to pick you because you're the best. And that's sort of, that's sort of how we roll. And my guys, my management people that are out there, they get fired up because they're like, shoot, we could, we could have this there, they're, you know, we should get this on contingency. It could be part of TJM and they get excited when that happens because it's good for them and it's good for the company. Mm-hmm. So it, it really is, it, it, it's really a, a nice way to get your business to the next level, but you got to be able to be the best in the building that you're in and you got to be able to roll the dice and say, I can do this when the time comes. Because if you walk away from it because you're afraid to do it, you're going to be in, in the situation that you're in for the rest of your time at FedEx. And I don't mean to, to demean that at all. I mean, these are, these are good, solid businesses when they're, when they're run right and you can make some money doing it. But to do what we did and, and end up with three additional contracts, maybe four, it puts you in a whole, a whole different place. On a lot of levels, not the least of which is what you have in the bank.
0: That's so true. And that, you know, Jim, one one thing that I have been talking about for as long as I can remember in the contingency space is teaching people that operating income, which is the money that we get from operating these businesses, is nice, right? We know what that operating income is. We know that these businesses can generate 10 to 25% margins. And we know that there's nothing that we can do to generate 60% margins, right? You know, there's there's yeah. a, a defined right. outcome to operating the businesses. And just like what you said, you can do great just operating the businesses, but the real way that you're able to build wealth and really create even generational wealth in this business is through the accumulation of equity and the equity gains that you've generated by getting these additional contracts. I've done the math and in our events. I, I do this math in front of an audience is that on average, for every time you're awarded a contract, you are being given somewhere between five and eight years worth of operating income as a result of getting that equity assignment.
1: And in addition, the operating profit you're generating through the contingency is significant as well.
0: That's exactly right. And that's that's a piece that... I'd love to hear from you on because it's it's one thing to say, hey, I've got managers that are, are really fired up about it and they love to go and help. And I, I have some of those same managers that, that that's what they, they live for. But maybe you can just talk for a minute, Jim, about how you are at the ready for those contingency opportunities. We we have something in our organization called a red team that is kind of our, our group that we can parachute in, but it, it doesn't happen by accident. And and you can't decide that you're going to start preparing when you get that phone call from FedEx saying that they need help. You have to already have been prepared. So can right. you talk for a minute about the, the wheels that you set in motion to be ready from a people and a truck standpoint and, and just give us some insight on that?
1: So one of our, one of our strategies, and this, this was really something uh, that my son, my son thought about, is uh, if we can get in multiple buildings, and, and it kind of makes sense to have, and we're in two buildings that are fairly close together, and we're trying to be in two more buildings that were fairly close together, but separated from the, the part of the country that we're, our, our main operation is in, because then if there's a contingency in say, Chicago, I've got guys further west that can go to Chicago and handle some contingency or guys that are now in, in West Virginia that can go to Virginia or Tennessee or Kentucky. Or, so it, it gives you kind of a regional opportunity. Now, the other thing is if you have, we're in four buildings and I got, let's say, 15 guys, 15 drivers in each building plus contingency or 20, whatever it is. I can take a couple of guys from each one of those operations, send them out on a contingency assignment without crippling the operation itself. They can function with 18 if they function the other days with 20. And I know that the 20 is a little bit heavy, but I keep those extra guys there until a contingency opportunity comes up. In fact, just this morning, I met with, A couple of my location managers and we went through what their staffing needs to look like moving forward and we're very careful not to cut it too far because i want those couple extra people in each one of those buildings in case we get that call that we need we need eight guys in pick a city so that we can get them there in fact we were looking at plane fares today because we we're aware of a contingency opportunity. That's quite a ways away, but we'll put guys in an airplane. We'll rent uh, vehicles down in whatever city it is, and we'll get down there. We'll get it set up. And then the managers will want it from there. So you have to, you have to be prepared when they ask you, there's a cost to that, but the overall benefit of financial benefit from the contingency revenue that you're going to get, hopefully we'll, we'll pay for and, significantly outweigh the additional cost you had in carrying a few extra people.
0: That's a, a really great point to, to think about and something in our our own organization that we are specifically identifying people in our company that would make good red team drivers. And, and it's honestly like a, a an extra stripe. If you think about it in, in military format, it's like an extra stripe that, that they get to carry because they're on our red team. And So when we're hiring even, we, we are talking and identifying people that might be willing to go. And a lot of times that can come with uh, added compensation, it can come with a stipend that they're getting to spend some money in the location where they're at. Uh, I have a a handful of husband and wife couples that they don't have kids or at least they no longer have kids at home and they're effectively getting paid to see a part of the country that they perhaps haven't seen before and and so there's some really interesting cultural elements that having that red team can have uh a benefit to the to the culture of your business
1: One other point along those lines Spencer, is those guys that are together we we had Heck, at one point we were renting five two-bedroom condos up in Detroit, and we had two guys in each condo. I had a couple other guys that were back and forth staying in hotels, but all of a sudden now you've got guys that have a bond, and you know usually a workforce they work in a pick a work environment, a factory or an office. They see each other every day, all day, every day, all day. Well, our, our employees don't function that way. They're in they're out, they're back, they're home. They might have a a conversation with another driver while they're on the belt getting loaded, and then they're gone. Well, now these guys have an opportunity, and and girls have an opportunity to get to know each other on a personal level, in addition to the the driver level, and that creates a a team spirit within the company that we never had before. It, It was hard to develop that team atmosphere. Those guys were you know, they were individuals. They ran their route. Don't ask me to come off my route to help somebody else. And that was the attitude when we first took over. Well, we got rid of that in the first year or two. Now everybody functions as a team. I tell them, I have one route, all your routes. That's my route. So if I want you to work here, you to work there, that's what you have to do. Well, when these guys work together and live together for a period, all of a sudden, you've got a different relationship between them than you had before. And it it seems like a soft sort of warm and fuzzy point, but I think it's real. I, I honestly do.
0: Yeah, I, I think there's a, a lot of that. We see that in our in our own organization of people that they become a band of brothers or sisters or, or mutts, you know, whatever exactly. it is. That they're they're all coming together and and they they enjoy. Uh, Those opportunities and that they really do wear it as a sense of pride that when they walk into a terminal that is not their own, you would think like the Ghostbusters have busted into a terminal because they're like, we're here to solve whatever is going on. And they they take a lot of pride from that. I'll say this, too, as as we kind of wrap up this contingency portion. I deal with a lot of individuals that are prospective investors, Jim, that are thinking about coming into this space and they don't know whether they want to buy a healthy operation or whether they want to try their hand at a distressed operation out of the gate. And one of the things that I try to coach people on is, is to say, I would far rather you see an outstanding operation that you pay a fair price for rather than paying for a fair operation and getting an outstanding price. Because it's a lot like if you want to be a brain surgeon, right? You've got to put in the time to go to med school in order to be able to graduate to being able to do brain surgery. And in the same way, turning around a distressed operation, I have never seen it done successfully from someone that hasn't had a sufficient track record of doing things the right way. And if you just kind of go right to brain surgery and you don't do it well, well, you're not going to have a very good reputation as a doctor that will probably live with you the remainder of your life, right? You know, if you just go right yeah. to there, you're you're not going to get another chance. And to stretch that analogy a little bit into this space, it's that putting the time in of learning and experiencing an operation done well and then making the next 10 areas of growth for you the dumpster fire opportunities that come along and you can then make those your turnaround efforts i think is an important part of my evolution as a as a contractor so in that spirit, Jim, just as we wrap, can you take a moment and, and again, maybe speak just for a moment to our prospective contractors that might be listening about uh, some of the things that you think are, are useful to know, to learn, to focus on that have really, if you could go back and sit in a room for yourself when, when you were coming out of semi-retirement, <laughs> uh, what would you have yeah. told yourself going back then to, to help you throughout this experience?
1: One of the biggest issues that we face especially as a new contractor is learning to navigate the FedEx world. I've kind of coined the phrase, the FedEx shrug. Cause when you ask people in the station, various questions about this or that lots of times you get the shrug. I don't know. I don't know who to call when you have this problem or that problem or, and learning who those people are. And it, it's just like this in, in any business. You, if you're in a, a big business and you have a question, you got to know the right person to go to, to get an answer. Cause you could, if you get lost in the red tape all day long and never get an answer, but it's, you spend a minute if you know who to call immediately. So that takes a little bit of time and a little bit of effort. And what helped us was being part of this entrepreneur of the year program in 2018, we get to meet people. And now those people are in my phone, in my directory, and I'm not afraid to call them. I'm not afraid to send an email. What's going on with this? How do I how do I do that? Uh, This isn't working and the the station can't seem to find an answer. And so you learn the right people to talk to and you can get answers and provide a service to the station because they know what you're talking about is a real problem. And sometimes they don't know who to call. So knowing who to call is a big asset. Now, how did I learn that? It's like the joke, the school hard knock. That's where I went. I didn't, I didn't know. And, and we didn't know, but we we found out and we were persistent. I mentioned Tommy before, uh, you know, he and I kind of are in this together and we both learned who to call on this case, who to call in that case, call contract relations, call this person. And I wouldn't take kind of no for an answer from the station. How am I supposed to fix this? If you can't even tell me who to call. And I, I put pressure on them to be a part of the solution rather than just, wash their hands of it, look at me and give me the shrug. Cause that's what you will get. If you let it happen, if you don't let it happen and you stay after it and you talk to this guy's boss or that guy's boss or the next boss or whatever, sooner or later, you're going to get to somebody that'll give you an answer. You may not like the answer, but at least you'll get an answer rather than just the shrug Uh, because the shrug does nothing It irritates the guy on the FedEx side and it irritates you and learning who to ask those questions that you can get answers and rely on them is important. Now, how do you do that as a new contractor? You pair up with contractors in the building that you know are good. You can, you don't have to spend a whole lot of time with a lot of people to figure out who the good ones are. At least I don't, it just shows. You can just tell in a 15 minute conversation who you want to ask some of these questions to and develop relationships with them. Not to say you don't need a relationship with the other guys or other contractors. You do. But the ones you know you can rely on, those are the ones you want to kind of stay closer to and call with questions and, and have, have lunch or have breakfast and meet somebody or whatever. But that's how you get the information. And that, to me, is one of the hardest things to manage. Now, there are some easier things to manage that I, I tell new contractors. You get paid every week. You don't need a salesperson. You know, there are so many things that we we don't have to deal with that make up for some of the frustration that we do have to deal with. But knowing who to call and partnering up or pairing up with other contractors that you can trust that know what they're doing to me is a big it's a big step in growing into the into the contractor maybe that you want to be.
0: That's one of the things that I get to uh, take the greatest privilege in, and my role at RAU Consultant is through our annual expo that we do of, of bringing more than a thousand FedEx contractors together under one roof and uh, establishing that sense of community, you know, doing, doing webinars, doing podcasts, and uh, having that that opportunity for contractors to come together, even outside of the four walls that you go to in your own terminal. And understand what it's like in different parts of the country. It just it makes us all stronger together, to where we can learn from each other's mistakes, and we can also learn the best practices from from one another. And so, in that spirit, Jim, I, I can't thank you enough for for being here today, offering up some of the keys to success that you have implemented in order to run a very successful operation in uh, in six years. And let me uh, sincerely hope that you don't go back into semi-retirement anytime soon, all right? You're doing a great job.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Spencer. Uh, I'll throw a little, a little bow bone your way. The uh, gathering that you have every year is tremendous. The people that we've met, some of the ideas that we've gotten, and we've, we've kind of put into practice a lot of what you said. We, you know, we actually sold a business, bought back in another business, cashed out, put the money in the bank. I mean, it and it really does. It really does make sense. I, I'm not sure how FedEx likes that process to, you know, in terms of like flipping to cash out. But if you bring a good contractor in to replace you, I don't know why they would, why they would care. So we've been able to do that. We, we gather a lot of ideas. I'm not a young guy. I'm 63. I've, I've been in business a long time. I've been to a lot of company or industry meetings that cover whatever kind of information they cover. But in all that time, the meetings that you have, the material is so appropriate to your audience and the presenters do such a good job. It, in my opinion, is the best gathering of a, a group like that, that I've ever, I've ever been to and I've been to a bunch of them over the last 40 years. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for doing that.
0: That's super kind of you, Jim. And I, I appreciate that a lot. And, and I will be eager to see you there in July uh, when, uh, when we have had this year's event. And, and uh, I'll I, be there. I, Again, can't thank you enough for your time today. And we will uh, talk again soon, okay? All right, Spencer. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Jim.